never dry. Christopher and I wonder before sleep at our boys' happiness and their invisible trust. Sometimes I'm jealous of them. Over the years, my Aunt Irene and I have wearied together of the stories that start, Guess what Daphne did? I tell a couple of them myself, rarely now, but sometimes at a dinner party. My mother gave me cocaine. You wouldn't believe what she said to my new boyfriend. She had an affair with a mobster. These aren't stories I tell my children. The boys' voices toppled down the stairs before they come into the kitchen. I'll need to hang up when they start to tug at me with their small demands. Irene says my grandmother, also in Barbados, has not gone yet to the hospital. She's hopeless, a complete wreck. I should ask for the hospital's number, but say, let's talk later, and hang up the phone. I tell Christopher enough to give him a sense of the news and go to another room to call my sister. What she knows will be different from our aunt's story. This is how we move forward in my family, calling one another in almost every configuration five people can make. One woman gets a call, puts down the phone, picks it up again, repeats the story, here's another version. We fold in the new details that are not yet our own and patch together pieces until a certain sense emerges. My younger sister and I have an uneasy truce on the subject of our mother. We don't want to fight, so we don't mention her. When Penelope answers, she sounds like she's drowning. Oh, sweetie, I say, until she can stop sobbing and tell me what she's heard. Newly married, lucky with fun jobs that flame out fast, Penelope lives in the New York apartment where we grew up, subletting from our mother. She doesn't seem to mind being buoyed by the swells of Daphne's manic behavior. When our mother comes to the city, Penelope gives her pink sheets in the room that used to be ours and carries the paper in to her in the mornings. Penelope's report matches Irene's. I've got the first flight out in the morning. What about you? She says, inflection absent. I've got to figure out the kids, I say. I'll call her back. Christopher's mother could stay with the boys. He says, just let me know what you need. I'll do it. I'll need him to come with me, but what else? What else do I need? I go online, look into fares. All the flights are full, the cost enormous. I'm not sure I can do anything, my travel agent warns. I'm off the hook, relieved. But there's also the part of me that longs for my mother in moments like these, her gall and grandeur. In the airports of my childhood, she'd say, girls, you sit down over there. And she'd straighten her fitted suede jacket, align the silk scarf at her throat, and ease her way to the front of the first-class line for an overbooked flight. Don't worry, I'd tell Penelope, holding her hand. She'll get us on. I could pick out our mother's laugh above the other voices, then her confidential murmur as she made a gift of her attention to the clerk behind the counter. People, men especially, like doing things she wanted, couldn't help themselves. She made them feel they'd be important to her. Her well-cut hair flowed past her shoulders, and she lined her eyes with coal. She had elegant arched eyebrows. She wore platform heels, even with her bad back, and sheer blouses fastened in a V between her breasts. Sometimes people thought she was our babysitter, a sophisticated, pretty teenager. She'd brandish her knockout smile and say, No, I'm the mummy. She knew wit made her sharp features softer, and she was funny, agile with an anecdote or a naughty observation. When she beckoned, we got up and went over, and the clerk would say, I'm sorry about your grandmother, or I hope your daddy will be okay. We knew to fall into the act long enough to make it to those first-class seats. When we went out together, my mother made us the stars and the champions. She tossed off rapid, irreverent remarks, urged indulgence out of the most recalcitrant of salesgirls, seduced the most unhavable of men. 
She spent money with fuck you abandon. To walk into a deli with her and order a sandwich was a particular commitment, a willingness to let her own the day. I've lived apart from my mother since I left for boarding school at 14. I called home often then, pressing her voice to my ear, our mutual interest insatiable. She called me from restaurant cloakrooms and lovers' beds, ready to start new rumors. She called from hospitals after back surgery. She phoned from airports, dinner parties, and the lobbies of movie theaters in which she stood weeping over a love story. She needed me, she said, to calm her down. Her sexual allure extended from bartenders and cab drivers to rock stars, football heroes, and anchormen. He calls me whenever he's in town, she told me of an actor, whose name was bigger than any movie he'd starred in. I was eleven, precocious with contempt, and said, That's too much. I don't believe you. She had him call me that afternoon from his hotel suite while she was there. Your mother